Hello, everybody, and welcome to the second episode of I'm Thinking Kinky. I am Octavia Octon, and I am a professional dominatrix. Um, if you listened to my last episode, you know that the reason that I'm creating this is because I want to try and discuss and demystify a bunch of kinky and taboo topics that you guys want to talk about. So um, last week, I discussed two very basic forms of BDSM play, and this week I think it's really important to talk about what it's like to negotiate a scene. Now, if you're completely new to BDSM, a scene is any play that you partake in with another person, and it usually is set up kind of like a scene of a movie. There are certain specific things that you're going to do and certain specific things that you're willing to say and be a part of. Now, when you're negotiating a scene, one of the most important things for you to remember is you want to be absolutely certain what you're going to be doing, what you will not be doing, and what the person that you're playing with absolutely doesn't want to do. Now, negotiating a scene has a lot to do with consent. What do you consent to doing? Now, consent is cross in BDSM because if you're not consenting to what's happening and not as in consensual non-consent, no, I mean, if you completely don't consent to what's happening, that's not BDSM. That's rape or assault. So you have to be sure, absolutely sure, that your partner is consenting to what you're doing. Um, now, as I mentioned before, there's consensual non-consent. Now, what that is, is when you're negotiating the scene, you say, okay, I want to do these things, but throughout, I don't want to have a safe word. I want to struggle. I want you to push me. That's what consensual non-consent has to do with. And I don't recommend that for beginners. Because you may not know what you really don't want to do until you've tried it. Now, <clears throat> you want to ask a lot of questions when you're negotiating a scene. What specifically do you want to try? Do you want to try needle play? Do you want to try, um, do you want to try rope? You know, what exactly are you doing? You want to discuss your experience level because if you're new to something, the person that you're playing with needs to know and you absolutely need to know if they're new to it. Um, you also want to be sure that not just that you know their experience level, but you want to know their comfort level. Because if you're new, the person you're playing with may not feel comfortable playing with you just because they're not experienced enough to introduce someone. The other thing you want to know, and I've written about this, but the other thing you want to know is, are there certain things you shouldn't say? Should you not use derogatory terms? Are there specific words that are triggers for your partner? And um, it's you want to ask that question specifically because, you know, people might not be okay with being called a dirty little cunt or something like that. They might want to be spoken to respectfully because not everyone who is bottoming, so to speak, wants to be degraded. Not everyone who is bottoming is submissive. They may just want to feel the pain. It may have absolutely nothing to do with a dominant submissive dynamic. It may just be sadist and masochist dynamic. Now, <clears throat> going on from there, you also want to know specifically what they do want to be called. Some people are very protocol-oriented. They want to be called domina, mistress, master, or they want to be called slave or cuck or sissy. You know, people have specific things that they want to be called, and it can really intensify a scene when you know what is going to push their buttons, specifically with your verbal game. And that can be one of the hardest things to get used to when you're doing a scene, is what to say. 
Well, if you know what they like to hear, then you're already one step closer to what you're going to say during the scene. You know, if people really like to be degraded, they like to laugh, be laughed at, they like to be made fun of. I mean, that's an easy scene. Um, for me, anyway, I really like to humiliate and degrade, but that's just my personal preference. Like I said, some people may not be into that at all. And when you're in a really intense scene, when you're really feeling it out, if something goes wrong, I don't want to say it can be traumatizing, but it can definitely trigger people. And I mean that in a real PTSD way. I'm not talking social justice warriors. I'm talking like they are literally triggered emotionally by what you're saying. So that's why you want to make sure you know what you're allowed to call them. You know what words you're allowed to and not allowed to use, even as a dominant. There are certain things that people are just not going to consent to. And you can't do it if they don't consent to it. And I believe that firmly as a professional dominatrix. Consent is everything. Now, like I said, you also want to know what you're doing specifically, especially when you're beginning. Walk through it. You know, how is it going to start? What are you going to move to? What specific things are you going to mix in? And when is going to be the end point? Particularly if it's something new for you and you're the one who's going to have the scene done to you, it's important to know for yourself, usually just have a marker of, oh, okay, this is going to end soon. Especially if it might get overwhelming, but not so ever overwhelming you want to stop. It's important to know, oh, okay, he's doing this now. Okay, we're getting close to the end. I can I can relax for it. I, I know that an end is coming. And I say that because it's really important when you're learning to know that what you're experiencing is going to end because it can be very, very intense. And I mean that in a good way. But it's important while you're experiencing these new, extremely intense emotions to know that this is not the new norm. You're not stuck feeling this way. You're going to have a moment where you stop feeling these feelings and you're going to be able to process. And processing is really important. Now, another thing that is extremely important to discuss is whether or not you need aftercare. Now, aftercare is something that comes after your scene is over. Some people want it. Some people definitely don't want it. But what it is, is when you have an intense scene, you are releasing a large number of endorphins. You're releasing dopamine. You can be obviously releasing adrenaline. And that can leave you with a major drop afterwards. Suddenly you don't have all of those endorphins and hormones going inside of your body, making you feel, you know, your heart beat fast. You don't have that. So suddenly you drop. And that's called subdrop. Subdrop is when suddenly all of those endorphins and hormones stop and you're left, I don't want to say feeling empty, but it can be a very negative feeling if it's not handled the right way. Some people can become extremely emotional. Some people can feel depressed. Other people um, just kind of want to be left alone. And like I said, that's why it's important to discuss because you want to know Sorry about that. I got a phone call that I had to answer. But um, anyway, we were discussing um, subdrop and what happens after a session and how to discuss that and how to deal with it. And as I said, subdrop, as, as intense of a feeling as you can feel during your session, that's just how low you can feel after. And it's a perfectly natural thing. And some people who aren't educated about this can feel like it's a guilt issue. Like, oh, why did I do that? I feel bad now. I feel bad about myself. It's, it's not a natural guilt sensation. It's solely 
because of the endorphins that are no longer being pumped through your system and your body has to begin to normalize again. Now, some people can even pass out when they go into subdrop. That's, you know, it's, it's rare, but if you know how to deal with it, it can be taken care of safely. But you can get any number of reactions at the end of the scene. The person can be crying. They can, you know, just want to be left alone. They can, it can be all kinds of things because it is an extremely intense emotional um, enlightenment almost. You're really learning yourself in these intense scenes and these big sensations. And it, can, it doesn't have to just be after pain. It can be after having the most orgasms of your entire life. In, and even those, the sub drop after a scene like that can be even more intense. So you really need to know what your partner needs. And if you don't know what you need personally, tell the person that. And then afterwards, when you're going through it, tell them whatever you need. Whether you need to be cuddled, whether you need to be held, whether you need to be talked to softly, whether you need to be left alone. Just tell the people what you need in that moment. And don't worry about being you know, don't worry. You you can just be honest about it. If you want somebody to hold you while you cry like a little baby, that is perfectly okay because you're experiencing enormous emotions. And I honestly believe that BDSM is something where you're discovering yourself with the help of another person. You are discovering feelings that you wouldn't feel in a normal situation. You're discovering how you respond to those. And it's, it's so totally okay. It's okay if you cry like a baby. It's okay if you want to be left alone. It's entirely individual to you. So moving on, you also want to discuss specifically if you're going to be using any equipment or implements, you want to discuss what you're using. You want to discuss if it's new to the person, if they're experienced with it. Just like anything, any specific thing you're doing, you want to know how experienced your partner is. And if you're not experienced with it, they need to know that because and it can it can range from any implement. It can be a bullwhip. It can be a smacker. It can be anything. Every implement has its own sensation that it can give you, whether it's bondage or whatever. It gives you its own sensation, and some things you're going to like and some things you're not. And that's just natural. It's like flavors of food. Maybe you don't like ketchup, but you love mustard. It's going to be the same thing with implements. Everybody has their own taste. I have people who absolutely love stingy stuff. They love whips. They love crops. They love anything that's going to make them sting and burn, but they can't stand a thud or a deep impact. And that's totally normal. It's kind of like Coke and Pepsi, you know? It's, an, it's just up to what you know you enjoy. And paramount to all of this, the biggest thing you absolutely have to discuss for any scene is what are your safe words going to be? Are you going to have safe words? Now, personally, I recommend for everyone that you have a panic word. If you use this word, everything stops. You're taken down. Everything's done. You go straight into aftercare or not, depending on what you want. You need to have something that says, I am overwhelmed. I am done here. Because if you don't have a way to communicate that and that's not what you're going for, it can be traumatizing. Because like I said, it can be overwhelming. If you go too far and you need to have a way to communicate between you and your partner exactly what's going on with you. Now, when I session, I use the words red, yellow, and green. Just like a stoplight, it's really easy to remember. Um, green means I'm really liking what you're doing. Let's go with this. This is great. I'm perfectly okay. I like what's going on. 
Yellow means maybe you're being just a little too rough. Maybe I want to switch what we're doing. And red means stop absolutely everything. Get me down. Untie me. Release me. I'm done. I need to stop. And red should be taken very seriously, not only by the people in the scene, but the people surrounding. Because if someone calls red and the person who's playing with them does not listen, that is the only time you have permission to interrupt a scene. Because that means that their consent is being violated and it needs to be taken very seriously, not only by the people in the scene, but by the people observing. And like I said, that is the only time you interrupt a scene is if someone is having their consent violated because we need to watch out for each other. And, you know, some people say, well, I got too into it. I didn't hear them. And, you know, that may be. Maybe there is music. Maybe there is someone else doing a scene that's particularly loud and they didn't happen to hear you. It may not mean that the person intends to violate the consent, but either way, they need to be informed and they need to be made to stop because whoever is the subject of the scene can be traumatized by that. Like I said, we're dealing with big, powerful emotions that can be extremely enlightening and can be extremely releasing. It can be freeing. It can be a great stress releaser. But it's a very thin line that we walk between that amazing stress relief and something that can be a negative experience. And the absolute best way and the only reason I bring all of this up to have a good experience is to know how to avoid a bad one. Now, some people don't always understand why I use yellow. Yellow is because I don't want to make my bottom use red. I don't want to force you to have to completely end the scene because I've gone too far. I want to know when I'm hitting that line. I want to know when I'm getting a little too close to pushing you too far because with knowing that, you can make a scene last much longer. Um, I, as a professional, I have to have scenes that last one, two, three, four, five hours, even days sometimes. So I have to be able to tell when I'm getting a little bit too close to the limit. I have to know. And of course, when I've sessioned with someone a bunch, I get to learn their body cues. I get to know what their reactions are to things, how much they can take. But a lot of times I have customers who are entirely new to me. And that's often how people wind up playing. They wind up playing with people they've met in clubs, you know, and maybe you know them really well, but you haven't played with them before. And that's why I think yellow is a valuable tool. Not everybody has to use it. I just like to use it because that way nobody has to use red with me unless it's sudden, it's suddenly gone too far. Honestly, I've only ever had anybody call red once or twice. And one of those times was because they were used to using that as their only safe word. They weren't used to using yellow. So it was their natural reaction. That's what they were used to. So just remember, you need to discuss your safe word. You need to know what they are, whether you're using the green, yellow, red system, whether you're just using red, whether you're not using a safe word, and it's going to be a consensual non-consent scene. You need to remember that. Now, I think I have covered scene negotiation pretty well. So I want to move on to something. I actually had someone send in a question, and I want you to know I'm not ignoring you. I've had a hard time um, getting to getting a moment to record this. But the question was, he's currently married. He wants to be a client of mine but he knows that his wife would see this as a form of cheating. Now, <clears throat> this his question was if I had any advice for him. And this is a really big question that my clients deal with a lot because not all of my clients are single. Some of them are lucky enough to have a spouse who knows about it, who's okay with it, but others are not. For a lot of people, 
my services are kind of a dirty little secret thing. Going to kink clubs is, you know, they have to hide it. And, and to begin with, I think that is, to me, that is sad. Not because I pity the person, but because I wish that with their spouse, they were capable of being that open. And I understand that's not possible for everyone. Um, I personally, I have a spouse. I am completely open with him. He knows what I do. He knows how I make my money. He knows that I have sessions with clients. And he's totally okay with it because he knows that it is a dom-sub relationship. It's not going to replace him in any way. It's just something I need to fulfill me as a person. And it's something that just personally for myself, I need to experience with a number of people because that's just how I am. Now, to move on to my advice. Being kinky, being predisposed to, you could say, taboo forms of sensual behavior, it's natural to us. Most of the people that I discuss this with, you know, that's one of the first questions they ask me, when did you know? How old were you when you knew? It wasn't really an epiphany for me. I always knew that I was different. I would read books, and if someone was getting punished with a with a, lashed with a cane or something, I would get excited by that. I would get aroused by that, even when I was 10, 11, 12, and, you know, I didn't understand it. I didn't realize what it was, but even when I turned 14 and I really kind of started to begin to explore sexuality and things like that, I began writing my own erotica because... I couldn't find romance novels that interested me. I didn't care about Romeo and Juliet. I didn't, I didn't, that didn't fascinate me. I was fascinated by a dominant, submissive exchange. And I began writing my own erotica. It was absolutely embarrassing and definitely written by a 14-year-old who had no idea what sex was. But it was my way of exploring. And everybody I talked to, that's kind of their answer. Well, I always knew. I was always different. You know, I was always interested in this. And, you know, they could be 55 and just starting to wet their toes in it. And for me, someone who became very normalized with what, <clears throat> how do I put this? Someone who ex embraced and accepted and knew that this had to be a part of my life in order for me to ha be a happy human being. It's hard for me to see other people who have gotten to such a stage in their life that they're 50, 60, sometimes 70 years old, and they've never gotten to explore this, it must have been extremely hampering. And I cannot personally imagine not being able to explore this side of myself because it is very natural to me. And it's natural to all the people who want to look into it, who want to experience it, who want to explore. And I really feel that it's a very creative intellectual thing to be into because you really are exploring yourself and you're ex exploring other people in an extremely personal way. Now, moving on from that, my main point is, is these desires are natural to you. You are not alone. You are not abnormal. You're just not like what mainstream media says sexual desire should be like. And that doesn't mean mainstream media isn't normal. That's just what, you know, censorship and Christianity and whatever religion, what have you, has told you is normal. But I cannot imagine, 
as a creature, as a human being, that being born this way, being born to want a certain amount of pain or to want a power exchange dynamic is unnatural because so many people desire it. And to ignore something that is natural to you, that is a natural desire to who you are as a person, is a painful thing to do. It's uncomfortable. It makes you... It makes you want to hide it and it makes you want to, you still have this strong desire to experience it. And I think that's what you're going through right now is you're in a relationship where you can't necessarily be open about your desires or where your partner's not interested in exploring those desires. And a lot of people like us find themselves in that sort of situation. And pardon me, I think. My advice to you is that you really need to weigh the situation because if your wife thinks that getting this kind of service from a dominatrix or going to a kink club or exploring this side of yourself, if she would consider this cheating, it's not going to be a question to her of whether or not it's infidelity. You already know what she's going to think about it. And with that knowledge, You need to weigh your own level of discomfort, your own anguish, your own pain, which you're obviously going through. You obviously have these very strong desires to explore this, and you have to weigh the risk, and I'm I'm being brutally honest with you, you have to weigh the risk of losing your wife, possibly losing access to your children. You need to weigh that against your current discomfort. Is it so uncomfortable? Is it so hard to deal with? Do you have such a large desire that you have to fulfill this need? That you can't ignore it? Is it to a point that I don't want to say you're willing to risk your relationship, but in all honesty, that's what you would be doing. I I, I don't mince words. A lot of people frown upon what I do. And a lot of relationships would absolutely implode if people knew what I did with their spouse. And that is something I find to be extremely unfortunate, but it is the status of things. You need to decide whether you are willing to risk that. I can't tell you one way or another. If you know that your spouse would not approve, it is entirely up to you to decide whether you are so uncomfortable, whether you desire this so much that you are willing to risk that. And please don't think that I'm in any way belittling your relationship. I'm not belittling the fact that you love your wife and you love your children and you want to keep that relationship and you want to be a part of that and you obviously value them very much. But circling back to what I was saying, these desires are natural to us. I don't believe that celibacy for everyone is natural. I don't believe that BDSM for everyone is natural. But we as people, it is a natural desire to us. And to not be able to express who you are naturally is painful. Um, It's painful for people who are closeted homosexuals. It's painful for people who can't express who they are. It's, it's, It's painful to be hampered. And... Again, I'm not trying to belittle your relationship or saying that you have to decide you're okay with losing it. That's not it at all. You personally need to weigh this risk. 
and you need to weigh your discomfort, which is great. And you need to decide, is it worth it to you? And again, if you decide it is, that's not belittling how highly you value your family. It really isn't. Because you clearly love your family. You clearly love your wife. You wouldn't be in a relationship with her if you didn't. But you need to decide how great this discomfort is for you and whether or not you can bear not to explore this part of yourself. And you need to be aware, honestly and truly, that there is a risk. There is a risk, she'll find out. There is a risk that it could cause major problems with your relationship. I am never going to try and, you know, smooth that over and say, oh, no, that doesn't happen because it does. But you need to sit down with yourself. You need to have a really honest conversation with yourself. And you need to decide which path you're going to take because there are a few paths before you. You could, and maybe you've already tried this, you could try discussing with your significant other, nothing about me, but discussing with her the things that you want to explore, the things that you feel you need. Because honestly, if you can't discuss it with your spouse, I don't know who you can discuss it with, aside from myself. Excuse me just a moment, I have a phone call. All right, I'm back. I'm sorry about that. I hate being interrupted. Anyway, what I was saying is that you have several paths before you. I've already described one. You can try to discuss with your spouse and see if there is a way that they would feel comfortable exploring it with you or um, helping you to explore it or maybe seeing if they could help you accommodate those needs. But unfortunately, not everyone is willing to explore in that way. Some people are completely vanilla. Some people don't have an interest in exploring this side of themselves or of their spouses. And you, you really only alternative at that point, if you've decided that you absolutely need to experience this, is to go to a professional such as myself who can be discreet and who can help you safely, um, safely explore your interests, what arouses you, what is really at the core of your sexuality. And obviously, I think you've already come to this realization is that you're at the second option. You're discussing it with me. You're asking me these questions. And I appreciate the situation that you're in. It is not an easy decision to make. Um, I'll, I'll never say that it is because you're really teetering between two very important aspects of yourself. You're teetering between your family and the necessities of your own sexuality. And it's not an easy position to be in. And as I said, my advice to you is you need to have a very serious, very frank discussion with yourself. How uncomfortable are you? And is that discomfort so great that you are willing to take this risk? Because like I said, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It is a risk. You're aware of that. You told me so. You need to make the decision for yourself whether you can continue to contain these desires and be faithful in your wife's opinion to her and to your family, or if it's too much and you really have to explore this side of yourself. And there is no shame in that decision. Many people make that decision. And honestly, the most unfortunate part of it for me is that society has marginalized us, has made us taboo and 
and strange and weird. And, you know, I'm not going to say we're not strange. We're strange people. But I don't think we are anything to be afraid of or uncomfortable with, even though so many people are uncomfortable with, frankly, discussing what we are into, what we explore on a day-to-day basis with each other. And really, to sum it all up, is you're going to have to make a very personal decision. But I don't want you to feel guilty if your decision is that you have to explore this. Because as I've said, it is natural to you. It is natural to many people the world over. And it is painful to not be able to explore yourself and your sexuality and what you desire from the world. It's very unfulfilling to live a life where you've explored all the other aspects, but your deepest, most intimate desires. And I, I wish for people that they could universally meet a spouse who would be willing to explore those things with them and accept that part of their spouse. But the world as it is today, unfortunately, that's often not the case. And I think whatever decision you make for yourself is going to be the best decision for you. Because you are the only person who can answer the question of whether or not you have to do this. And again, you won't be belittling how much you value your wife. You won't be belittling how much you value your children. You will be acknowledging how much you value the ability to explore your own sexuality, which is not a small thing at all. So please chew on that. Think about it. Talk to yourself. Take as much time as you need. I'll understand if I never hear from you again. It's okay. I'm not going to be wounded in any way. I just want you to know that it is going to be a big decision and it's going to be a very personal one. And whatever you choose, one way or another, is going to be the best decision for you. Now, now that I've gotten very deep and I have gone very into the depths of my beliefs about BDSM, um, I just want to ask you guys some questions. I want to hear from you guys. I want to know when it was, you know, like I said, it's the most common question I'm asked. When did you guys realize that you were kinky? When did you really start to figure it out? Um, what was the first kink you explored? Um, do you have, are you new to the scene? Are you new to all of these different words and lingo? Is there anything you'd like me to explain next week in my next episode? Um, please feel free to email me. There's a contact form on my website, www.dominaoctavia.com. Feel free to ask me any question. I don't care how explicit, how detailed, how I, I do not care. Feel free to try and shock me. I'm a dominatrix. You're going to be hard-pressed to figure out something that's going to make me blush. So I want to hear your questions. I don't care what they are. I'd love to answer them. So send me a question. If you could just put question in the info line for me so that I know what you're emailing me about, I'd really appreciate it. And I'm going to try and get you guys another podcast a little bit earlier in the week next week so you don't have to wait so long. But thank you so much for listening to me ramble. And thank you so much for thinking kinky. I hope you guys have a great weekend. And I hope you have a happy holiday if you don't hear from me before then. Have a good day, guys.